Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hi, I'm Jack Cacciarelli. And I'm Aaron Burns. And this is Zoomed In. On this week's episode of Zoomed In, Aaron and I will be hitting a lot of headlines talking about the Biden infrastructure bill, Big Bird, and a lot of positive news coming out of Georgia and New Hampshire. After that, Aaron and I will finish up, as we always do, with Tweets of the Week. Aaron, you excited for this episode? I've never been so excited to talk about Big Bird in my life. So let's. I love to hear it. I love the Muppets, and I love zooming in, so let's do that. Let's hit the headlines. Jack, let's do it. So this Friday night, we saw the historic passing of President Biden's bipartisan infrastructure bill in the House with a vote of 228 to 216. You saw uh, 13 Republicans coming on board in the House to make this a bipartisan infrastructure deal. So, uh, Aaron, let's jump into the bill and really talk about the substance of it. So you're seeing $110 billion invested into roads and bridges, $66 billion for railroads, Amtrak. I know Joe Biden's happy about that. $65 billion for broadband that is going to be expanding internet access in rural areas across the country, making it more easy, uh, making it easier for people to work remotely or to have access for the internet if you're a student. Uh, and, and another important part of this bill, $21 billion of an investment in green energy and into the environment. That is huge. This is an absolutely historic bill. There are so many other important components. But Aaron, let's just go ahead and talk about what this investment in infrastructure means for America. Well, I mean, I think the biggest takeaway from this is that for the past four years, Republicans were talking the talk. They were talking a big game. Hmm. Democrats came into office and Democrats walked the walk. Yeah. As simple as that, Democrats deliver. And this is really, I mean, I say this a lot when Democrats pass policies or when Democrats do things that are positive for this country, but this is why you vote blue. If you, if you want a government that's full of obstructionism and all it does is pass um, or nominate and, uh, and pass Supreme Court justices and other judges, go vote Republican. If that's all you want from government, then yeah, go for, vote for Republican. But Democrats, when they're in office, when they have an opportunity to do things, they get it done. And, and you saw that just this year alone. I mean, when you think about it, Joe Biden has been the most progressive president since FDR. And that says a lot. And, and that's because Joe Biden has a, and, and, and this Congress have really allowed for the spending of a lot uh, to rebuild America. First, you had a historic fourth COVID relief package, which was mm-hmm. at one point, I think it was $7 trillion, if I'd say it might be a little less or more. Mm-hmm. Now you have a $1.2 trillion infrastructure package. It just gets better and better for America. 
And hopefully next week you'll see a $1.75 trillion Build Back Better package. Yeah, and you talk about Democrats delivering with that, with that last COVID relief bill. That was Democrats. We campaigned in Georgia saying that we will provide relief to the American people in these crucial times. We will get it done. Like you said, Democrats actually walk the walk, the walk of what we're talking about and getting things done. And it's going to be a little easier to walk that walk on paved streets and sidewalks that aren't crumbling because this is an investment in our infrastructure. Um, and, and, you know, this wouldn't happen under the Republican Party. We know that for sure. Nothing would have happened. There would have been no COVID relief. It would have been, you know, a slow return in the economy. We just got like we haven't even mentioned this. An incredible jobs report just came back. Would we see a growth of um, half a million new jobs? The yeah. Dow is reaching all time highs. Now, it's not necessarily where the stock market is, is not necessarily a reflection of where the economy is. But what I'll tell you is every time the stock market went up a point, Donald Trump was sending out a tweet saying, I'm the great, I'm the greatest. I'm the best for the stock market. I'm the greatest stock president ever. The stock market loves me. And, and that's all he said. That's all he ever said. Sorry for, the, sorry for the Trump impression. We don't want to hear that voice anymore, but we just have to do it sometimes. Um, but he, he would be spiking the football every single time that the Dow went up even one point. And the Democrats, Democrats right now, are the best, are, are the party of, of fixing the economy. We're the uh, party of, you know, bringing up the stock market to like, we're, we're doing everything right now, investments in infrastructure and, and paying off at every level. For sure, Jack. And I mean, I think something Democrats need to do and what I'd like to see, I mean, I know why they're not doing it yet because of the looming build back better. And I think President Biden's going to campaign on this together. But what I would like to see is at least Kamala Harris and some surrogates from the White House do a nationwide tour. Yes. To, to go to Flint, Michigan, where for years, um, residents have been drinking out of lead filled pipes. To go to, to go to rural Colorado or Kansas where residents don't have access to Wi-Fi or a cellular network. Go to these areas that are going to be impacted the most by, the, by this, um, this infrastructure deal. Go to Miami, Florida. Absolutely. Millions of dollars are coming here because of climate and because of issues that uh, deal with like um, uh, trails and roads down here. I mean, come to the areas that are going to be impacted by this infrastructure bill and talk about it. Yeah. And what makes it what makes it easier is that, you know, the future senator, current representative Val Demings, you're right, talked about a hundred over a hundred thousand, hundreds of thousands of people in Florida will have better or new access to the Internet as a broadband because of this investment. Go to those rural areas, which are usually deep red areas and talk about your accomplishments. These okay. investments that we've made are in rural areas and Democrats need to be winning big in rural areas in 2022. Can I tell you something? I actually saw a tweet earlier today that said in, in Virginia in particular and said that there, there were seven um, congressional house seats that were either super Dem or super Republican by more than like 25 points, I think. And in the Republican seats, or they ran someone in every race except two. In the Democrat seats, they ran every race except five. Hmm. And the seats that in the five seats that Democrats didn't run a race in, Republicans ran up the vote total by hundreds of thousands of votes. It's ridiculous. If we run every, if we want folks in every, in all of these races in rural counties, and we have messaging coming in by the president, by the vice president, by even Secretary Mayor Pete, if if he wants to come, um, and, and you know, let me, I just want to give a huge shout out to Secretary Buttigieg, and I'll tell you why, because over the past couple of months, not only has um, he had a birth in the family, him and Chaston had twins. Incredible. Love so it. one of their one of their um, sons was in the in and out of the hospital yeah. uh, for a while. So the fact that he was able to get this done 
while having all of that happening at home. Major shout out to Mayor Pete, Secretary, Secretary Mayor Pete. Secretary Mayor Pete. Love it. Hey, call uh, him whatever you want. Just love and, him. And I'd love to see him also traveling the country. Uh, Absolutely. Touting this Build Back Better or this infrastructure agenda. Get on the uh, get on the Build Back Better Biden bus. It's like, how many more can we throw in there? And, and serve ice cream out of it. I know we were doing and serve that. ice cream. Oh, that's a great idea. Washington, D.C. to Los Angeles bus tour. Six days. Hit up a bunch of stops. We, we Six days. Make it 60. Aaron, someone should put you in charge. We should get on this bus. We should be scooping ice cream. You know, that's a great idea. We should make a call. I think I think that would get the people out and get the people involved. If we saw you scooping ice cream. That'd be a lot of fun. Take- yeah, this bill is historic. It's yeah. incredible. Let's do it. I'll go. I'll go work for free. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> just just let me hang out with Secretary Mayor Pete. Correct. Um, so this bill is historic. This bill is important. We talked about the messaging that's going to go into this and what you want to see from Democrats. Yes. What else do we need to be doing to make sure that we get the point across that we get shit done and make that infinitely clear to people? I, I mean, I think the biggest thing is just being present in these communities. Absolutely. I, I, because listen, social media how are you going to outreach to um, communities that don't have access to social media on social media? You just can't, right? How are you going to access to these communities who don't have equitable access to, for example, um, MSNBC or CNN or even Fox News? Like they don't. Yeah. Like what, going on there is not going to help. The only thing that really helps is you getting on the ground. Um, and also something that might help, sending out a nationwide flyer, mail-in, mail-ins, mailers nationwide to every household in America. President Biden has enough money in his campaign account to do it. His campaign should do it send out a mailer to every household in America and list what is going to happen for them because of these. Yeah. What are we- and before we jump into our next headline, I know that Thanksgiving is coming up. So I just wanted to equip y'all. Like I said, I want to go over this one more time, equip y'all with some facts about this bill that you can share with your MAGA uncle or, or yeah. someone in the, in the family who's going to come. He's going to be saying things about Joe Biden, maybe chanting, let's go Brandon at the dinner table. This is what you're going to respond to them with. You were going to say $110 billion for roads and bridges, $66 billion for railroads, $65 billion for broadband, $21 billion for the environment. Let, let's uh, thank you, Brandon, to that one. Honestly, wow, huge win. Now, Aaron, let's get into our next headline, what appears to be taking over the internet right now, and that is that Big Bird got vaccinated. Now, in, in 1972, when he was just a little bird, actually, he was still eight foot two, but Big Bird got vaccinated. There was an episode of Sesame Street. There was no outrage at that time. But Big Bird got vaccinated again, got his COVID-19 vaccine. We'll love to see it. And someone had a problem with it, Aaron. Aaron, who had a problem with Big Bird getting vaccinated? Lion Ted Cruz. Cancun Cruz. He was, uh, he was upset, Lion a little Ted. triggered. By the way, you know, in 1972, you know who was president? Richard Nixon, Republican. There was no outrage. No, no outrage over the vaccines then. So, so Cancun, Ted Cruz, I'm surprised he wasn't at the beach. Um, instead, he was on Twitter complaining because I guess those are the really only the two things that Ted Cruz can do is go to Cancun and complain. Um, but he said that it was government propaganda for your five-year-old Big Bird's tweet. I didn't, I didn't know five-year-olds were on Twitter. Um, good for them. I bet, they're, I bet they're coming up with funny stuff. So there was a huge, there was huge outrage on the right. Um, you might have seen, hopefully you didn't see, because hopefully you're not watching Fox News, but two nights ago on Laura Ingram's show, The Ingram Angle, she showed, Laura Ingram showed a video indicating that Big Bird, after he got vaccinated, died because of side effects from the vaccine. Like, 
the the right is so far gone on this issue. It's insane. It's it's scary. Like I I don't know how you could show a fake video of Big Bird dying from a vaccine on like your network and someone like not have like questions for you. But that's what Fox News is at, at this point. And Jack, dare I say it? Big Bird for Senate. Big Bird. <laughs> Big Bird for Senate. I mean that that also blew up over the past couple of days. Pretty wild. I, I want to get to that and and we're gonna but I just want to make it clear, Aaron, and I think you should as well. Big Bird has my absolute and full endorsement for oh. a 2024 run against, uh, against Ted Cruz. I stand. I stand with Big Bird 100%. And I'll just say this quickly before we get to that about this whole Ted Cruz Big Bird thing. No, parents are not looking at Big Bird on Twitter to decide whether or not to vaccinate their five-year-old. That's no. not what this is about. And, and that tweet maybe, maybe got another one or two kids in America vaccinated. It didn't do much. And if it did, great. If it did, great. What that tweet was, was just a symbolic way to kind of just get everyone involved, right? If Big Bird's getting vaccinated, you can get vaccinated too. It, it's okay. And you have to market it because a parent, for example, of a newborn or of a four-year-old, five-year-old might not be watching CNN or Fox News or even getting any vaccine PSAs, but they may be sitting down every night and watching Sesame Street, right? Like you never know. As so- they should. It's it's it teaches lessons, important lessons to kids about you know how to be a good person. And part of being a good person is looking after your fellow citizen and getting vaccinated because it's safe and it's effective. And Big Bird has been doing it since 1972. So so can you, right? Unless I guess you're Ted Cruz. And Ted Cruz is vaccinated, and Laura Ingram is vaccinated, and yeah. everyone at Fox is vaccinated. And we saw this week at we- uh, as well that OAN put out a release that everyone there had to be vaccinated as well. So these people, they're, they're just lying. They're, Ted Cruz, famous for lying, but that's what they're doing. They're all vaccinated. They're just trying to stir up outrage. And this is propaganda. We know what it is. We can see through their lies. Yeah, no, I, I fully agree with you. Um, and I, I, I mean, I think it's a lot of this is parody and a lot of this is funny, but it does raise serious questions about 2024, which is a far, is far away, but right now... <laughs> Ted Cruz is going to win in a landslide. And Ted Cruz knows exactly what he's doing here, right? Ted Cruz and other Republicans are inciting these culture wars and trolling on social media and doing this because yesterday, or not yesterday, but like a week ago, Ted Cruz wasn't in the news. No one talked about Ted Cruz. But now everyone's talking about Ted Cruz. Same thing with Donald Trump. Him saying that immigrants are rapists and killers and coming across the border. He didn't say that no one would be covering him, right? His campaign launch was only huge because that's what he said. Mm. Um, and a lot of this actually is a criticism of the mainstream media, uh, both left-wing and right-wing media, is that they feed into this. They love this, right? They want politicians to say crazy things. They want these culture wars to erupt because then they remain in business. If politics was boring, CNN, Fox News, MSNBC would be out of business because they wouldn't, no one would, no one would care, no one would be watching. Um, so I think it's an indictment of the culture and an indictment of the society that we currently live in in a lot of ways. Yeah. Well, ha- having said that, let's go ahead and talk about a little, little positive news because we have seen some great wins in, in this week, not only the infrastructure bill, but some news coming out of my temporary home state here in New Hampshire. Um, the current governor of New Hampshire, who won uh, 60 by 65, by 65, won 65% of the vote uh, mm-hmm. in 2020 when he ran. Um, is is decided that he will not be running against Maggie Hassan in 2022 for her Senate seat, which is huge. Mitch McConnell, 
personally asked Governor Sununu to run. Ted Cruz said, if you see him on the street, tell him to run for Senate, because this is an extremely important seat. This seat was up for grabs if if Sununu was running against uh, Senator Maggie Hassan. It was in big jeopardy and Democrats were afraid. But with Governor Sununu's decision not to run for Senate, things are looking a lot better in New Hampshire. Yeah. Democrats feel a lot stronger about our chances here and feel a lot stronger about our chances in the Senate generally, which is fantastic because we have so many incredible candidates. So that is fantastic news coming out of New Hampshire. Well, from Governor Sununu's perspective, I mean, I get why he's why he's doing it. I mean, you go from ruling not ruling, but like leading a state to being one of 100 in a Senate that doesn't get anything done. Yeah, he talked about a right. I mean, why would you ever want to do that? But I do think this is very good for Democrats because New Hampshire is a must-win state. If you lose New Hampshire, Jack, I mean, it, you might as well give up on the Senate in 2022 because if we're losing New Hampshire, we're losing a lot of uh, in a lot we of. We can't afford to. Right? We absolutely cannot afford to. So we, I- we've seen what it's like with a Kirsten Cinema and a Joe Manchin. What it would be like with a, a Governor Sununu. Uh, that yeah, it's going to be a or a, a Josh Mandel in Ohio. Ooh, ooh, that'd be a problem. That would be an issue. I mean, that might happen. We have to be prepared for it. If, if that happens, then Ohio, I mean, then you have to really realize Ohio has become a red state. I mean, it's no longer a purple state. Same thing in a lot of ways with like these other states. Like if, for example, if Marco Rubio wins re-election in Florida by more than a few points, you're going to, if Florida's in a lot of ways is shifting more and more red. Yeah. That's definitely some considerations that we're going to have to have looking forward at this political map where we have to start thinking more about Arizona and Nevada and in, in, instead of maybe a Florida or Ohio and pivoting more to winning in Georgia and North Carolina. I'm personally extremely, extremely bullish on Texas, extremely bullish on Georgia, extremely bullish on a lot of these other Southern states, not like Alabama and stuff, but like um, Georgia, potentially Arkansas, Missouri. These are Tennessee. These are the states that were Democrat historically. Bill Clinton won Arkansas mm-hmm. 20 years ago. These states trended red, but are slowly trending back blue. And, th- and yeah. this is where really where, because of the population and demographic changes, this is really where Democrats need to make inroads. It may not happen in the next 20 years, but in the next 40 years, yeah. It's going to happen gradually. And if you're watching this and you, uh, and you are like, okay, what about four, in 40 years from now, I may not be alive yet. That's true. But don't you want to leave a better world, better world for your kids, your grandkids, their kids? Like, come on. So, and Aaron, you, you brought up a great point earlier in the pod that I just want to bring up talking about these states is that sometimes in these races in, in states like, you know, obviously not a Senate seat, but in a state like Missouri or Tennessee or Texas and yeah. some races at the local level, Democrats just don't run. Correct. And, and when they do that, you know, you're not able to spread the message of what our party is doing. You're not able to build that Democratic infrastructure within a, a locality. And you need to do that. That's how we change these states, right? That's how we make these shifts towards having a gigantic blue wave and having a much bigger uh, majority in the Senate. No, 100%. And I listen, I think we can get there. Um, I think it just it requires like the way of old thinking in a lot of ways to change. And I also like one of my friends coined the term previously important people, people who think they're important, who've been around in politics for decades, who think they know how to do these things. Yeah, you may have known how to do them back in the 90s or in the 80s, but 2021, it's a very different world. And digital has really taken over in a lot of ways. And if you don't get on board, if Democrats don't start doing things that Republicans are, it, Republicans are great at trolling and getting um, earned media. If Democrats don't start doing things like that, we might as well kiss our chances goodbye. 
in a lot of ways. So messaging has to change ASAP. And, and we talked about a blue wave. And I think it's important now that we're on the topic of positive news that Aaron, could you please share with the zoomed in listeners what happened in Georgia that has gone you know, under the radar from the mainstream media who just want to talk about like, democratic losses? What happened in Georgia? Yeah, literally um, back in on Tuesday when um, everyone was screaming out Virginia, New Jersey, Georgia, quietly Democrats flipped another 40 seats in the Georgia legislature. That is insane. That Cleaned is up. mind boggling because Georgia historically has been super red. Obviously, has been trending more blue, but flipping 40 states in the in the legislature is not is not an easy feat and shows that Governor Kemp is in big trouble, big yeah. trouble next year. Um, and it, I mean, it shows that Raphael Warnock is, might win re-election, actually. I mean, it's going to be a tough race, but ooh, maybe. Because when we have conversations about the status of the Senate and what this map is going to look like in 2022, people are usually a little worried, a little more worried than I'd expect about Georgia, which is just always, it always, well, listen, I don't understand because you I'm, have Governor Kemp, who is extremely unpopular within the Republican Party, who's probably going to face a primary, which I, I still think that he'll win. And then you have Herschel Walker, who we've talked about before on the show that we think will lower voter turnout in the Republican Party. Now, we saw in Virginia, Terry McAuliffe, huge numbers of voter turnout amongst Democrats. But Glenn Youngkin as well had even bigger turnout. So if we see in Georgia that Republicans are not showing up like they did for, for Glenn Youngkin, not showing up for, uh, uh, you know, Herschel Walker or, or Governor Kemp there, I feel strong about our chances in Georgia. I can't say I feel strong. Um, and the reason why I, I think I do, is because Herschel Walker is a formidable candidate who is raising a lot of money. That's true. And, and although he is more radically right, Mitch McConnell's already endorsed him more moderate Senate Republicans are coming around to him. He's going to become the mainstream Republican candidate by come election day, and it's going to be a very different race. Um, And also, at the same token, Warnock hasn't really done much to gain notoriety since winning. Um, He's kind of fallen off a little bit. Mm. Um, Oda, great. He's made a lot of great statements and stuff to those who are paying attention, but he's not really making that national headline news that that, um, Herschel Walker is every day. And also, mind you, Georgia is a very big football state, very big football state. Herschel Walker was a very good football player. That resonates with voters. That's true, especially when it looks like a national championship. You know, we just saw the Atlanta Braves win, but a national championship may be coming to the state of Georgia. So the rank number one right now in the AP poll, we don't need to talk about football, but I, I, I'm going to kind of disagree on that Herschel Walker point. I, I, and, and as well on the, on the Senator Warnock, I think, what we saw in Virginia is people kind of wanting to return to normal a little bit. And we've gotten away with that with the resurgence of Delta. Uh, but I, I think that's going to be an important, and we're going to talk about this in, in a little bit, but you know, I think normalcy and good governance is becoming more and more important as people return to their lives. They don't want to be thinking about politics. They want COVID over with. They want a government that can function without them paying attention. They don't, they don't want to hear these headlines every day. And I think you know, you have a candidate like Josh Mandel who wants to be in the headlines all the time making noise. And you say and Herschel Walker as well. But I think when you look at Raphael Warnock 
and John Ossoff, who have both consistently delivered for the people of Georgia, passing the infrastructure bill, passing COVID relief, bringing, you know, solar energy in big ways to the state of Georgia in new ways. So passing green energy initiatives, improving the water in in Georgia and in school and the public school system as well. I I think people are going to want that. And I think, you know, you may see some Republicans who voted for Joe Biden but maybe didn't come around to Raphael Warnock, I think that could change. And I think, I think you're going to see a lot of independents move his way as well. I think you could be right. Um, my, here's my word, my word. And it's obviously I support Warnock. I hope he wins, but here's my worry. My worry is, is that we pass infrastructure. We maybe pass Build Back Better. Then 2022 rolls around. Everyone's out there campaigning. Everyone wants to make a name for themselves. And there are no more major legislative agendas passed or legislative bills passed between the next month and the election, right? You have minor things, but nothing nothing big. There really isn't much to campaign on. And Republicans led by Mitch McConnell start a nationwide campaign and said, look, you gave Democrats the White House, you gave Democrats Congress, and all they have to show for it is two bills or three bills. And none of which have happened over the last year. And because of that, now you have a system that is just full of obstructionism. And as Republicans, see, we, if we were in power, we would do so much more. We wouldn't, government wouldn't be in your pockets. We wouldn't be spending all this money. We would be doing, we would be lowering the gas prices, fixing the supply chain, whatever. We would be doing all that. And then Shit Herschel they Walker, can't do, of course, but yeah. <laughs> right. And Herschel Walker starts campaigning on that and says, listen, like, if you don't like what you've seen over the past two years, vote for me. If you're a Republican, Democrat, Independent, you don't like what you've seen, vote for me. That's my concern because that message does resonate and that message does work. And the biggest thing, if the Democrats can win with that, even if that mass message happens from the Republican party, absolutely. And make this race about Trump. We cannot do it. I know they're going to want to because Herschel Walker is very close to Trump. Can't do it. We cannot do it. We, we tried to do it with young we kids. Can't make this race. We can't make this race all about Trump. All about Trump. Correct. I think that's the key is that, you know, when we were talking about Virginia, it was, it was a lot of, it has to be all of one thing, but it wasn't. It wasn't all just Terry McAuliffe was a bad candidate, where it wasn't just, I think what it mostly was, was the state of President Biden's approval rating. Um, but it, it's not all just that, or it's not all just Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin, or it's not all just critical race theory and school closures. And so it can't all just be Trump, right? We have to have, we, we have to make it clear what issues are important to us and what we've delivered on. But what gives me a little bit more hope with the passing of this infrastructure bill and hopefully the passing of Joe Biden's social spending bill is that, yeah, you may have forgotten that, that those bills are passed. But when more people are working, when you're seeing a child tax credit delivered to you every, every, every month, when you're seeing roads being paved, bridges being built, more green energy, when you, when you see all these investments, when it's easier to get around because you have better access to public transportation, if you say, hey, I may go hop on an Amtrak and Joe Biden serve an ice cream talking about his legislative agenda. Yeah, I think people are going to respond to that. This bill is going to play out over generations because of how impactful it is. Now, I'm not saying it's going to take that long for you to see the results. President Biden, Secretary Mayor Pete said that it's going to take about three months for you to start seeing the results of this bill. But it's going to continue to play out in a a significant way and the impacts that it has on our economy and our lives. And and we'll see it every day. And that's why I'm hopeful in 2022 that, you know, it'll, it'll be a major impact, a major factor. I agree with you, Jack. We'll see what happens.
Yeah. And so let's talk about one more thing before we hit tweets of the week. And that was, that was messaging. Now we've had a couple conversations lately talking about uh, what we've seen out of Eric Adams, the soon to be mayor of New York city, the mayor elect uh, who just won his election as well. Um, and, and Eric Adams has been saying, I am the Democrat. I'm the, like, I'm the prototype. This is what Democrats should want nationwide. I'm more of a moderate. I'm going to be tough on crime has been his big push. And he's saying, look at me, I'm the way, follow me. So Aaron, what role, do you, first of all, do you, think he's, do you think he's right? Do you think Eric Adams is the way that Democrats should be building their preferred candidate? And what role do you think crime or the, this idea of being tough on crime, do you think Republicans are going to bring that back? Because that was something that was prevalent a couple months ago in, in Republican messaging. I mean, so personally, I supported Eric Adams in the race, actually. Um, not for his crime stance for other reasons. Um, I thought he would bring be a stabilizing force for New York um, after years of with Bill de Blasio, whom a lot of people thought was didn't do that great of a job. Um, I like de Blasio. I just thought Eric Adams would do a better job. As far as crime goes, I think it's really kind of like the elephant in the room in a lot of these conversations. It's a topic that Democrats should champion but it's a topic that no one really wants to touch because it's not a popular topic. Because when you talk about people who are serving time in prison, you're talking about technically felons and those who are convicted of crimes and voters don't really respond well to that. And Republicans have used it historically very well to attack Democrats. And, and they have. Yeah. So when, when, when Eric Adams talks about tough on crime, I agree with him a little bit. I don't agree with him generally. I don't agree with the tough on crime message. And here's why. As far as sentencing and criminal justice reform, prison reform, there's no need to be tough on crime. We were tough on crime when the 90s and the 80s on the war on drugs. We saw how that turned out with our prison system currently overflowing, folks serving decades, sometimes life sentences for low level, nonviolent drug offenses. Um, you see mandatory minimums forcing judges to sentence individuals to prison time for stealing a couple grams of marijuana or cocaine or whatnot. That doesn't work. Um, and Historically, I mean, when you look at criminological perspectives, the goal of the criminal, criminal justice system is supposed to be justice. It's not supposed to be punishment. And right now we have a criminal justice system that's really more acts like a criminal punishment system and punishes you for a going to trial, punishes you for doing things that a lot of people do, but just never get caught with, right? Yeah. And it's also built on, it's a system that's built on systemic racism, which is designed to really oppress communities of color and um, communities and more impoverished communities. So in that, in that regard, tough on crime, no. As far as like shifting a little bit, as far as like the police force and things like that, there was the defund the police movement in, in the Democratic Party. And obviously that was rejected overwhelmingly. And it just was in Minneapolis. We saw a ballot measure to, to abolish the police and replace it with a new department fail in Minneapolis. And that's why I brought up this topic. Because uh, initially, uh, in Donald Trump's presidency at the end, he was working, part of his agenda was to ban chokeholds, the use of chokeholds in police force, in the police force. And, and Republicans completely pivoted away from that when they saw the defund the police movement, and they knew it was something that they could attack Democrats on. And you saw Cory Booker and Tim Scott trying to work on a, a police reform bill, and, and Cory Booker shifted, I'm not going to say way to the right, like he was embracing the Republican Party, but we came much more to the center on police reform, trying to get a bill done. And, yeah. and Tim Scott just walked away from it because Republicans don't want to solve these issues. They just want a message on them. 
so so that's why we have to figure out how we combat that now so i mean when you're talking about this whole tough on crime message you can't defund the police that doesn't work um and i never agreed with that movement and i i but I, i do think that there needs to be a conversation about police reform because it's been like that for i mean and even justice thomas recognizes this who's the most conservative justice on the court in that like the idea of for example sovereign immunity for police officers doesn't work like that should be abolished um like things like um body cams should be on every officer's body uh use of force training right that should be important i mean anti-bias training that should be important that should be implemented when you're going to be a police officer there should be steps you take and trainings you go through to be a police officer just like you a lawyer just like a doctor just like any other profession you go into right you can't just walk into a police department learn how to shoot a gun and then say okay i'm a police officer that's not how this country should work with that being said shouldn't get rid of the police. The police do help in a lot of situations. Obviously, we need to have a conversation about whether they help in all situations, which I don't think so. And I think that we need to increase funding in social workers and other like community centers, um, because I don't think the police help reduce crime. I think it's more of these community centers that help reduce crime, but I think police help stop crime after it happens, right? That's the difference. Um, So I think more investment in police, but also more investment in the community. Um, And and alternatives to policing as well. Yeah, and having the community work together with the police officers. I mean, listen, this is just, and people make fun of this here in Miami all the time. Miami-Dade Police Department comes out and does like community talks and like sessions with like members of the community just by giving out some ice cream to kids and stuff like that or whatever. Yeah, it may seem trivial. And like people are like, oh, look, the Miami-Dade, like they're giving out ice cream to kids. Okay. But like, it's better than them not talking to us at all, right? Yeah, and I, and I think it's important. And, and, you know, if you talk to the average American, they may not agree with defunding the police. But I'm sure if you ask them if, if in all situations someone needs to show up with a gun, they'd say no. There are alternatives to policing that are better for communities, and that's what we need to look at. And that's what we need to message as Democrats. We need to be more nuanced in the way that we want to communicate that there are better ways. There is there is police reform that can make communities safer and stronger, uh, and that's what we need to be focused on. Jack, I'll say this. Right now, Kyle Rittenhouse is on trial uh, for murder that he allegedly committed while at a Kenosha, Wisconsin, uh, Wisconsin Black Lives Matter protest last year. There were very few police officers there, um, and partially because of, it, I mean, the protest was, again, it was a Black Lives Matter protest, and people were protesting the police, many people were protesting the police presence and stuff like that, and because the police wasn't, weren't there in a lot of ways, some people are now saying, look, Kyle Rittenhouse stepped up and was like, I'm going to be the police that night. Now, would you rather have Kyle Rittenhouse and his um, white nationalist group roaming the streets during these protests or during our, these large um like conventions and stuff like would you rather allow small businesses to say hey i don't feel comfortable there's gonna be a big protest i need a white nationalist to come and protect me we shouldn't we can't allow that type of vigilante justice to happen in america um so having these conversations is very important i mean yes we need a conversation about police reform and increased funding for community-based projects but we also need the conversation of like Hey, defund the police does, is not is not what we need. We can't we can't be so far one way or so far the other way. Let's let's find the middle ground. Yeah, absolutely. And and with that, Aaron, we have hit the headlines. Let's head over to tweets of the week. Boom. And now it is time for tweets of the week. Let's do it. Our first tweet comes from California Representative Eric Swalwell. He says, 
If the GOP is the party of parents, why are they so dead set against extending the child tax credit, ensuring paid family leave, cutting child care costs, providing universal preschool, expanding health insurance, and enforcing health and safety in schools? Mic drop. Mic drop. Great question. Uh, not going to be an answer for many Republicans, though. Our next tweet comes from Dan Rather. Dan Rather says, can I get 100,000 likes for this tweet? More? I'm not trying to be greedy, but this is important. Please vaccinate your kids and please quote tweet or fill the comment section with articles and studies about why this is important. Please get your kids vaccinated. And we're going to end our final tweet with someone who is a big advocate for kids getting vaccinated and for all Americans getting vaccinated. Uh, and that is our favorite Senate candidate out there. Our favorite big tall bird. feathered. It's Big Bird. What could be more exciting? It's Big Bird. Big Bird for Senate, the Big Bird Senator Big Bird account says, unlike Ted Cruz, I won't fly away to Cancun when Texas is in trouble. That is a winning campaign message. That is Tweets of the Week. And that is our show. Thank you so much to our listeners, the Zoom and podcast family, our Zoomers out there so much for tuning in every Wednesday and Thursday for our live episodes on Twitter. You make this possible and we, and we love you for it because you are supporting our show every week and our support is growing every week. And if you want to tell us about what you like about the show or maybe what you don't like about the show, but you don't have to tell us that, Aaron, where can they find you and should they leave a review? All of my socials at Aaron Parnas. And yeah, hell yeah, leave a review. Hell yeah. Only if you like it. If you don't Only like if you it. Like it. If you don't like it, it's fine. We don't need the negative vibes. Just subscribe uh, and then go. Just <laughs> and you can find me uh, at Jack uh, uh, Jack Cacciarella on TikTok and JD Cacciarella on uh, Twitter. That is J-D-C-O-C-C-H-I-A-R-E-L-L-A. Also, please follow our editor, Adam Salton, at Salton on Twitter. He is the best. He helps get this show done every week, and we could not do this without him. We would also like to thank the producers of the Zoomed In podcast, and that is Midas Touch. So Ben, Jordy, and Brett, you guys are amazing. And this thing, this amazing podcast that we are so happy to host every week would not be able to be done without y'all. So thank you so much. Um, Aaron, another awesome episode. I would just like to say... Big Bird 2024. That's how we should close this thing. Big Bird, Big Bird 2024. Yeah, Big Bird 2024. Let's do it. And that is the Zoomed In Podcast. Thank you so much for zooming in. Zoom in.